second reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 30. Listen carefully for God's word. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for these words. We give you thanks for your faithful servants who experienced them, who wrote them down, that we might come to know who you are at a deeper level and to be transformed through the power of your spirit to do good works, to love one another greatly, and to love you with all of our being. Lord, we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. You may or may not know this, but at an earlier time in my life, I was obsessed with weightlifting and bodybuilding. Shocker, right? (laughs) I was always trying to lift the heaviest of weights, and I was very interested in beating my own records. It might be true that I was also interested in beating the records of others, or at least trying to. My wife, Megan, she used to get really embarrassed in the gym because I was also not very shy about correcting people. I would correct them on their form, ensuring that also that they were doing things safely, but also that they were using proper gym etiquette, not being too loud, making sure that they're racking their weights after they're done. Of course, I told myself that I was just trying to help, but as I look back on it, I was also trying to assure that people knew I had this elevated knowledge. Something that I worked really hard for and cultivated all on my own, it was this wisdom that I had gained. One of my influences at the time was a guy named Ronnie Coleman. You can watch a documentary on Netflix about him if you so desire. Arguably the greatest bodybuilder in history and a mammoth of a man. He could lift unbelievable amounts of weight and do it with what seemed like unparalleled ease. When he was preparing himself for these gargantuan lifts, he would yell out, lightweight, 
lightweight. His spotters and his training partners, they would join in the chorus. Everybody yelling, lightweight, lightweight, as he attempted to lift this very, very heavy weight. The weight he was lifting, it was anything but light. It was at times what you and I would consider unconscionably heavy for one human being to lift. Yet every time he stared at that weight, he would yell at it, lightweight, lightweight. This was his psychological attempt to conquer what was blatantly ahead of him. Really, really heavy weight. If Ronnie could convince himself that it just wasn't that heavy, then maybe it would ease the pain of the weight. Maybe it would get him through just one more rep. Maybe he could convince his mind and his mind could convince his muscles that he could do this. And if he did this, he could finally be the Ronnie Coleman he believed he could be. Ronnie, like so many people, they want to achieve something. They want to grow. They want to evolve into the image that they have created of themselves in their mind. And they believe that all they need to do is believe in themselves and rely on no one else because all that you need is inside of you. You just have to bring it out. Jesus in our text knows what it's like to confront people who believe that they themselves are all that they need, who believe that they have all the wisdom and all of the knowledge that they will ever need. Jesus starts this parable in Matthew by telling us about them, referring to them as this generation, he says. In our current world, sometimes when talking about this generation, it's often done jokingly or pejoratively this generation in their technology, this generation in their phones, this generation and all they do that is different than our own generation. But here, when Jesus is referring to this generation, he's referring to his own generation, his contemporaries that he walks alongside. There are those in this generation who are utterly unaware of the gifts that God presents to them who rely exclusively on their own wisdom and who believe that it is their own wisdom that is above all other wisdoms. And they like to tell people about it too. They can believe that they can do it all on their own, that they know what is best. They are the ones who did not dance when the flute was played, who did not mourn when the wailing was heard. But Jesus does juxtapose them with others in this generation who rely not on their own understanding. In describing them, Jesus calls them infantile because they are understanding and they are understanding that the wisdom that they have is a gift given to them by the Father. Wisdom for the infantile is nothing that is achieved it's not won, it's not gained, it's not conquered, but it is rather something that is given to them. Wisdom is a gift so that they might know the Father through wisdom given to them by the Son. Wisdom, in this sense, is pure gift, has nothing to do with self-actualization. Those of this generation, many of them have heard, 
but many of them are actually unwilling to hear. It is so easy to find ourselves in this generation in which we live as torchbearers of this. We have this innate want, this innate will and belief that we as individuals, as human beings, have all the wisdom and all the knowledge that we need. And if we do not have it, we will create a technology to give it to us. There's this genetic thing, this makeup within us, something that is just all too human, that which seems to compel us to want to grow, to build, to conquer, and to do it on our own. Part of our evolutionary reality is that we are constantly trying to actualize ourselves on our own terms and with our own resources. This is why we often do hard things, or we participate in athletics or weightlifting, or all the different types of challenges that we can face. It's so we can prove to ourselves that if we only work hard enough, if we only keep going forward in physicality or intellect or whichever which way we can find growth in ourselves, that we can achieve all that we desire. This was the source of inspiration for Gnosticism in the early Eastern world. The more knowledge that you could attain, the more power that you could attain. The more knowledge you could attain, the closer to God that you could become, or maybe yourself could become like a God. Like the Gnostics and ourselves, we've convinced ourselves, generation after generation after generation, that we are sufficient for ourselves, that we are all we need. From the Israelites in the desert to our contemporary world today, we think that we've got this. But in our thinking, we have made some terrible errors. We have calculated how long it will take to do this or to do that, to achieve this one thing or that one thing, to get the right job, to make the money, to have the family, to drive the car, to get the home, to have the status. Many of the adults in this congregation will remember the old army commercials telling us to be all that you can be. We're just humans trying to be all that we can be and attempting to be all that we can be. We have failed to calculate the weight of it all. The weight and burden of an existence that says that I can do it all on my own. We stare at the immeasurable weight of life and our world and we yell at it, lightweight, lightweight. Later in Ronnie Coleman's career, and after retirement, lightweight would become no weight at all. He would be left with a fused spine, two hip replacements. His desire for greatness to achieve more and more left him with a lot of history and a lot of pain and the inability to walk without assistance. The truth is, is no single human being should bear all of the weight, any of the weight alone. This generation has convinced us that there is indeed no rest for the weary. But here, in this Matthew text, Jesus, in his selflessness, reminds us and invites us to rest, to offer our burdens to him, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yet why is this so challenging? 
This is challenging for us. This is challenging for me because when we offer our burdens to Jesus, when we take the rest he offers and allow him to carry the heavy yoke, we have to accept our humanness. And we have to admit that yelling lightweight at the light, at the weight of the world will not change the immeasurable weight of it. And that the weight of the world is simply too much. For too long, we have carried so much weight because we do not want to admit that we need help carrying it. We reject help from friends and family. We push people away. We keep things bottled up and hidden inside. We carry our pain and suffering all on our own for fear that we could be seen as failures or fear of the burden that we might place on others. We even do this in church. We reject prayers for one another. We reject help often. But church, there is no burden that any of you has, that any of us has, that is too heavy for us to carry together. For we are Christ's workmanship, and we are Christ's hands and feet in this world, and it is all of our burdens that in AD 30, Jesus already bore. The only true light weight is the one that we carry together for the sake of being Christ in our world. And when we offer our burdens to Jesus, when we find rest in him for our weary souls, we are able to see even our sufferings with joy and peace that surpasses understanding an understanding that our own wisdom could never achieve. When I was younger, I really liked bridges. I even did a project on them in high school because I thought they were pretty cool. Growing up in San Diego, we would often cross the Coronado Bridge, which takes you over the San Diego Bay to the island of Coronado. When I was really young, I was terrified to cross that bridge. The bridge was so tall, I just, I just couldn't understand how the bridge could hold all of these cars driving back and forth and back and forth. When we would cross the bridge, I would close my eyes and ask my parents to tell me when we were to the other side. As I grew older, I stopped closing my eyes when we crossed and started having breath-holding contests instead with my two brothers. The loser would probably get punched or something like that. <laughs> My initial fears, though, they turned into interest. I stopped wondering how, or how this bridge could hold all these cars and why it did. How could this big bridge be a big bridge and not a crumbled bridge with all the weight it was carrying? I found out that it's all about support. It's about the arch, or it's about the cables, it's about the steel, or it's about the bolts, it's about the engineering, it's about the maintenance. Being from California, I always thought that the Golden Gate Bridge was so cool with the iconic pictures that we all know of cars crossing, cyclists crossing, riding on it over the San Francisco Bay. When doing my high school project, I learned more about the Golden Gate Bridge. One of the things I learned is that there is a crew of people who are constantly maintaining the bridge. 
One of the ways that they maintain the bridge is by painting it. They don't paint the bridge every year or every four years. They're simply always painting the bridge. The paint keeps the steel protected from the salt water that it hovers above. It keeps it from rust, and it keeps it looking that orange that we all know. Something I would have never considered, though, is the weight of all of that paint. Just to paint the cables orange on the bridge requires 10,000 gallons of paint. That's a lot of paint for cables. Now just imagine the paint that it takes to paint the entire bridge. But each time they paint a section of the bridge, they have to strip off the old paint, the old primer, and any rust. Because if they kept just painting over it and painting over it and painting over it and painting over it, the bridge would become unstable. It would become too heavy to carry even its own weight, let alone the weight of all the vehicles driving across it daily. We as humans often prefer to simply paint and paint and paint. We look shiny and pretty on the outside with our fresh coat of paint, either not realizing or being unwilling to realize that the weight of the facade that we are wearing is simply too much for us to bear. The yelling lightweight at it, at ourselves, and at the world is simply an exercise in trying to convince ourselves that it isn't that heavy. When in reality, just like the Golden Gate Bridge, too much paint and an insufficient support system will cause us to crumble. There are a lot of people carrying a lot of weight. And as much as you tell yourself, lightweight, lightweight, just isn't light. But Christ carries our burdens, and we carry one another's burdens, for we are Christ's hands and feet, not simply in this church, but in all the places that we go as the body of Christ. And know this, that you do not have to carry your burdens alone. Thanks be to God.